Good morning. Let me get this thing situated here. I found the secret of the great worship that we have here at Calvary Fluvan. It's these little cough drops that are that are behind here. There's whole piles of them. I <laughs> love it. Good to be with you guys this morning. We are going to be in a number of scriptures today, including the first uh, scripture that Steve mentioned, Second Corinthians chapter one. Um, you're okay if I don't go up there, right? I'm not a, I'm afraid I'll fall off that thing. Um, as Steve mentioned, we, we talked uh, uh, amongst ourselves, amongst the elders, in preparation for the men's retreat that happened just a couple of weeks ago. And each of us agreed to, to share something. And, and the theme, really, that Steve had put, uh, put forth for us was uh, men taking the lead. There were a lot of us uh, in this room that were there together. But the neat thing was that none of us, uh, believe it or not, in this busy world, none of us actually had the time to get together and, and kind of strategize and see, will our, will our messages, our various messages mesh together uh, and, and create a kind of a cohesive theme that supports men taking the lead? But it, it was amazing how, how I, I think uh, the Lord did answer that prayer, even though we didn't have the time to, to get together. So Steve said, I talked about comfort. And the reason uh, this particular concept, this particular idea is, near and dear to me, um, recently, and by recently, I mean over the past few years, um, I've become increasingly, increasingly aware of, of the fact that God is very much interested in how we walk out our daily lives, how we respond to the various stimuli that come to us day to day. And uh, I think um, we're going to look at a very, a very number of scriptures today that deals specifically with how we respond to tribulation. So to sort of set a, a framework, okay, uh, for our discussion today, I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures before we get to 2 Corinthians. The first scripture we're going to look at is, is in 2 Timothy. It's a famous scripture, and, and, and the context here is, is for us to just sort of agree together that the Word of God is true. Amen? Word of God is true. It's without error. It's one of the foundations on which we build our faith as Christians, that the Word of God is true. It is alive. There are tons of scriptures that talk of, these, of this, uh, this fact. Um, but 2 Timothy 3.16 is one that's particularly noted. I think it's probably known to, to many of us. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this is sort of our going in proposition to this morning. That the word of God is not only, is not only true, and not only alive, but it is absolutely necessary for us as Christians, as, as people of God, in terms of our being equipped, in terms of our growing in our faith, we need to know what the Word of God says. We need to understand it, and, and we need to trust Him. So, and, and I think, for me, as I look back on my life, and this morning I'll be sharing some poignant moments, snapshots of my own life, and how the Lord has comforted me and I'll share that with you as uh, hopefully in, in a, a way of testimony. Um, but for, for me, as I look at the Word of God, it's easier for me to look at the promises of God, maybe for you to look at the promises of God and the feel-good parts of the Scripture, the part where, you know, Jesus wins and, and, and the foe is vanquished and the victory is won and heaven awaits us. But there's this verse as we agree together that the Word of God is true, there's this verse in, in, in the book of John, chapter 16, and verse 33. So we'll get to 2 Corinthians here in a minute. But the book of John, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says these words. And, and I, I look at this almost, almost as the promise of God as well. 
Perhaps it is. But Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now, this word tribulation that is used there is, is the word thlipsis. That's what Strong's Concordance told me. Thlipsis. It's a, it's a general word that, that generally means uh, a, a broad-spectrum sort of tribulation. It can mean affliction, physical affliction. It can mean anguish, as in a, a serious loss. It can mean a burden, as in an ongoing problem. It can mean persecution, as in tribulation coming from an outside source. Uh, it can mean tribulation or just general trouble. But Jesus said, we are going to suffer tribulation. We are going to experience tribulation in this world. Amen? And so the question becomes, as Christians, how do we respond to this tribulation? Are we surprised by it? Are we, uh, are we uh, in avoidance mode perpetually? I mean, I, I, I confess, I, I don't wake up every morning and say, I think I'd like to find some tribulation today. I'm assuming that you don't do that as well, right? Um, notice it doesn't say God causes the tribulation. It doesn't say that God has, uh, has uh, remember this Gary, this Gary Larson cartoon where, where uh, there's a person going into a, a, a building and there's a piano on a, on a pulley above and you're looking over uh, a God's, God's shoulder at this computer screen and his fingers right over the button on the computer screen that says smite right you ever seen that cartoon it's not like that god is not a god that smites us uh that is uh, in the business of causing us tribulation uh for the sake of tribulation but nonetheless he tells us in his mercy that we will indeed have tribulation and and uh, how we respond to that tribulation is an important part of our christian growth do you agree it's, uh, you know, I think it's part of it's, it's tribulation is just, he says, in this world, in this world, you will have tribulation. I was thinking about that, and it's, you know, the, 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 the thought I got was that it's almost as if we're, we're taking a Greyhound bus to the Florida Keys. And, and the destination is, is going to be a great destination. But in the process of getting there, there are tribulations, there are trials there are problems that come up. So I want to just encourage us in this message today, perhaps to, to take our, our eyes off the very real day-to-day tribulations that we may suffer, and we'll get into some of these, and, and look more beyond the day-to-day tribulations into, into how God is indeed the God of all comfort and how he comforts us and what are some of those comforts and, and what are some of those perhaps counterfeit comforts that we try to use uh, on our own power. So, so we have this, uh, this verse, John sixteen thirty three, where Jesus says, you will have tribulation. And then the verse that Steve pointed us to, which has become a, a hugely meaningful verse in my life, this uh, verse in 2 Corinthians 1, 3. And I'm going to read just the first part of, of 4 as well. So it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. All comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. That word tribulation there is the same word as the John 16.33. Flips us. So we have here, as we, as we are sitting on this platform of understanding that yes, the word of God is true, it is living, it is active. There's no question about that. We have these these complementary ideas given to us in the Scriptures. That yes, you will have tribulation. He, Jesus said that to his followers. So we don't, have, uh, we don't have a free ticket to bypass tribulation in our lives. But at the same time, we have this alter, alternative uh, uh, verse that says, God, our God is the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Now, and what does he do? He comforts us in all our tribulations. So he's the God of all comfort, and he comforts us in all our tribulations. There's an exclusivity there that I want us to look at for a second. It doesn't say God's a God of some comfort, or God is a God of intermittent comfort or periodic comfort. It says that God is a God of all comfort. And what I take that to mean is that 
If I'm seeking to be comforted in my various tribulations, and I have my own as you have yours, if I'm seeking to be comforted in my various tribulations by some source of comfort outside the one true God, then I'm seeking a counterfeit comfort. I'm seeking a counterfeit comfort. We live, uh, I mean, this is an easy concept to grasp, I know. We have tribulation, we agree. God's a God of comfort, we agree. But we live in this, in this society that is very tribulation-averse, don't we? We walk, into, uh, 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 we walk into our houses and we can push buttons, many of us, that change the, the temperature by a single degree. We sit down in our cars and we turn on a button that heats the seats in our cars, some of us. Um, we, um, we love comfort. We have food filling our refrigerators. We have remote controls for every single thing that's run by electricity. Remote controls for our thermostats, remote controls for our televisions. My, my nephew, we were just home in New York for Thanksgiving. We had a great Thanksgiving. Went home to see my sister in New York. My nephew just got a new truck. And as my wife and I were looking at this truck from the apartment window, he started it with the remote control and got the heat running. It was weird to me. So we live in this, in this world, that this society, that we, we're not looking for tribulation. We're not looking for pain and discomfort and burden and trials. We're not seeking those things. To the contrary, we're seeking comfort. I think as we grow in our Christian lives, we have to really pay attention to the sorts of comfort that we, that we seek in response to these tribulations. So I'll ask you, how, how do you comfort yourself? Maybe for some of us in this room, we have, uh, you know, we have trial, trials in our work, and we come home, and it's just, you know, I just need a few drinks just to unwind. It's been a long and hard day. Um, so, and I deserve these drinks because I've worked hard. And, um, and they comfort me somehow. Maybe that's, maybe that's it for you. That has been it for me. I'm not saying any of these things uh, in, a, in a judgmental way. Just about everything that you're going to hear me say today has, been, has impacted my own life. So maybe there, maybe there are some in here that, that are seeking comfort from the tribulations of life by taking part in, in alcohol. Maybe, maybe your marriage is really not going so well. Maybe there are problems there, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a little bit of pornography. You know, he just doesn't understand me. She just, she just doesn't, she doesn't meet my needs, and it's just, you know, I'm, I deserve these, these things. I'm just going to look at some pornography and just kind of comfort myself through these things. Maybe that's you. Um, maybe it's... Maybe it's not physical comfort. Maybe there's, an, maybe there's a, a, a pattern in our lives where we seek to create some sort of emotional comfort. Maybe, we, maybe we're the kind of person that builds up walls around our hearts because it hurts to love one another. It's difficult. It is ugly sometimes, and it's because we, we, we grate on each other sometimes in the family of God, not only in our own families, but in the family of God. And so maybe we build walls around our hearts and become emotionally unavailable to our spouse or to our child or to our family or to one another. And in doing that, perhaps we find some sort of comfort. But I, I put to you this idea that these are false, counterfeit And by taking part in these sorts of, and there's a long list, certainly, that we could fill in the blank. But by taking part in, by seeking these forms of comfort, I believe we, we short-circuit the comfort that God has for us. The true comfort. The real comfort that comes from on high. Any comfort, I'm gonna, I, I wrote this down, I'm going to read it. Any comfort that we apply to our lives is a counterfeit comfort unless it has as its center and substance the God of all comfort. 
Amen? And I think that today, you know, we're living in this era of fast moving. I mean, even, you know, Steve has said it before, and I think we would all agree, we live in a very fast moving society. It seems like it's almost intangible how life is just moving so quickly. And we have, it seems like we don't have the time that we used to have to relax and, and just have downtime. We're constantly answering emails or voicemails or, or we're bombarded with these things. You know, I, I think that this is a timely concept for us to consider, this idea of how we comfort ourselves. Because these counterfeit comforts have been, uh, in today's age, have been in some ways weaponized. And I love that word, weaponized. Because today, if you, if you want to, just as an example, the pornography, you want to look at pornography today? It's not like it was 20 years ago. We know this. I won't dwell on it. But it's anonymous. It's instant. It's shareable. It is, you can find it accidentally. It never used to be like that. Uh, we, we have this uh, a morality in this country that has been co-opted. Right? It's relative. Our children are being raised in this, this uh, environment where morality is just, you know, it's been co-opted. It's being redefined by the world. The attempt is being made to redefine it. We're getting this uh, media message. If you're plugged in to the media complex, we're getting this constant bombardment by the media around us that gives a very hedonistic uh, explanation or very hedonistic advice as to how to comfort ourselves. All you got to do is turn on the TV. And so we need to walk not as unwise, but as wise. And we need to, to know what's out there in, in, uh, in the form of godly comfort. So the question is, how indeed does this God of all comfort, the one who is described in 2 Corinthians as the God of all comfort, how in fact does he comfort his people? Because sometimes it seems like we could really use some comfort, doesn't it? And I'm going to go through a few of those. Uh, one of the ways, I'm going to go back to John here. You can go if you want to, John, John 16, just a little bit earlier than the verse we looked at. One of the ways that God has comforted us, and this is uh, an amazing truth, in John sixteen seven, Jesus again speaking. He's, he's talking to his followers and he says, it is hard to believe these words. Imagine sitting there with Jesus, looking at him face to face. You've been living with him alongside him for three years. You've seen him do the miracles. You've watched him walk on water. You've seen him raise people from the dead. You've seen him feed multitudes of, of people, hungry people from a, a single picnic basket. And he says here in John sixteen seven. It is better for you if I go away. Really? Really? Yeah. It's better for you. It's to your advantage, it says, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the New King James says, the helper, that word is also the comforter, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So, the era that we're living in right now is an era where God has literally sent himself, sent the Comforter to us in the form of the Holy Spirit, who as Christians lives inside of us. And so we have direct, 100% of the time, 24-7, 365, access to the God of all comfort who has who's been sent to us and who has come inside of us as Christians. That is an amazing fact. It's an amazing truth. And we live in a very busy world, a very, uh, lots of different signals. We need to train ourselves. It's almost as if we're, it's a, you know, think of yourself as a radio signal, a radio receiver. We need to train ourselves to hear the ways, the multitude of ways in which God comforts us daily by the Holy Spirit. We need to tune our dials to what God is saying. So, 
We've each received the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. Uh, So this comforter has come literally into us and lives in us. So that's one way that God is kind of an overall generalized way that God is the God of all comfort to us. He lives inside us. He's the God of all comfort. We have access to him in our hearts. But there's also some specific specific verses that I want to look at um, that talk of other specific ways that God comforts us. One of them is He comforts us through the Scriptures. He comforts us through the Scriptures. Romans 15, chapter 4 and 5 says, For whatever things were written before were written for your learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That phrase, comfort of the Scriptures, is an interesting phrase. Patience of comfort of the Scriptures. Now, I want to give a testimony to this because we're all in this together. Right? And, And this applies not just to me, but to all of us. So, I want to tell you a time of how God comforted me through the Scriptures one time. I was a young Christian. I was a pretty vile guy when I came to know the Lord at 24 years old. Um, I had a lot of visible bad habits. You could have seen them on me. You could have smelled them on me. Um, I was drenched in sin. But I got saved at 24. God reached down and said, hey, Todd, I got something better for you. And I was like, what? I didn't know. I didn't have a Bible. I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. Had never been in a Protestant church in my life. But the guy that led me to the Lord said, well, you've got to start going to church now. I went, yeah, I'm all over that. I'm going to start going to church. So I started going to church. Problem is, I didn't, I didn't stop sinning. I didn't really get the whole repent part early on. I did in some ways. I mean, it was interesting how God worked early on in my Christian life. I had, I had uh, been reading, and as I, had, I won't tell you the whole story, but I'd been reading a lot of books on this sort of spiritual journey that I had been on that led ultimately to the Lord plucking me out of hell, giving me life. But I'd been reading all these books on all these different religions and spiritual uh, um, ideas, and, and I remember the day, literally the day I got, uh, I got saved. The next morning I woke up, I was broke, didn't have any money, not like now, but we, we, I looked at the, at the bookshelf in my bedroom and I remember thinking, I could sell these books. I was so convinced that I had found the truth that I realized I could sell all these books. They're all garbage, every one of them, 100%. So I was, I was thinking, man, I could, I, I could take them down to this little store in Blacksburg, uh, sell them, get some money back. And, and God said, you know what, Todd? No, you don't do that, you dummy. These books are full of lies. Take them out in your backyard and burn them. And I went, ooh, okay. So I did that. I trucked them all out of the backyard. I poured gasoline on them. And uh, it was November of 1990. And, and uh, I remember my roommate came out and said, what are you doing? I said, you won't, it's hard to explain. <laughs> but just trust me, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I lit it and poof, and I burned them up. A few months later, I'm in my apartment. I'm listening to my Aerosmith albums and my Led Zeppelin albums, and man, those guys could rock. Loved it. And I remember listening to the song from Aerosmith that had a, a, I felt like God just said, turn off the music and, and just read the words of this song and ask yourself this question. Ask yourself, if Jesus was sitting on your, on your living room couch, would you read this poem to him? And I remember reading with the Aerosmith song, which was entitled Love on an Elevator, and I was thinking, ah, no, I would not read this song to God. And you know what I did? I was convicted. I sold all my CDs. I did actually sell those, I'm sorry to say. It's a moment of weakness. But so the, the, the point I'm making is I still had all these visible sins. Nobody saw the books I read. No one saw the music I was listening to. But those were the things that God convicted of me, uh, convicted me of early in my Christian life. He dealt with me very forcefully on those things. The third thing was my language. I was building homes at the time, and I so I had I, there was no doubt from the very beginning 
of my journey with, with God. That he and I were in communication with one another. I was hearing him. I was doing things that I wasn't, they weren't familiar to me. I give up my books, sell my stereo, my CDs, and all. CDs had just come out, young people, for goodness sake. It's 1990. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. But I was still smoking cigarettes and still doing other things. That, so I found myself in church one day. And uh, right where I knew I should be. And everyone around me is singing. And I smelled like, like a box of camels. And, or Marlboro Reds. That didn't matter to me. So I remember, I remember becoming very convicted at that moment that I should not be here. These people are Christians. These are good folks. I'm dirty. I stink. I, I got cigarettes in my truck right now. I smoked on the way to church. I'm going to smoke on the way back. And, I, and, and so what I did, as any good young Christian did, I decided I'm going to stop going to church until I get myself straight. Because uh, these people all got it figured out. And I don't. And obviously, God needs to do some more work. So what I'm going to do is I'll go back to church after I quit some of these habits that are so nasty. And that's exactly what I did. I stopped going to church. And I sat in my apartment. And I remember, it might have been a Sunday. But weeks went by. I was completely out of fellowship. Young Christian. And uh, wasn't ch- none of my habits, I noticed none of my habits were changing, actually. And uh, I was in the Scriptures this one day, and I came across this verse in 1 Peter. Remember, God comforts us through the Scriptures. 1 Peter 5.8. It's become one of my life verses. That day, and this was maybe 91... Been a Christian perhaps a year. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, first Peter five eight, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now I remember thinking that I was a biology major in college and I had knew a little bit about lions. I had watched National Geographic Channel, right? And I realized when I read this verse, I said, Isn't it interesting that uh, we have an adversary, the devil, I knew that. And we know that, right? But the interesting thing was that he's described here as a walking, walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So I got this picture of a lion hunting in my mind. Now we know that a lion does not just take a look at a, at a herd of zebra and say, I'm going to just go for it. I'm going to just run straight into him and jump and put my claws out and hope for the best. That's not how he does it. It's not how a lion does it. It's not how the enemy of our souls does it. He looks for the young one. He looks for the old one. He looks for the injured one. That's a biggie. He looks for the one who's just like I was, just all of the above, just kind of generally dumb and, and separating myself. And what I felt that night, God say to me, was Todd, I know you're a sinner. I knew that already. I died for you anyway. Yes, I'm concerned about the cigarettes. And I'll deal with that. Just give me some time to work with you. Your top priority, Todd, is to get back into the herd of God, the flock of God, because there I have comfort for you. There I have safety for you. There I have accountability for you. And it was like a light bulb went off in my mind. The next opportunity I had to go to church, Marlboro Reds and all, I went to church. And over time, praise God, he dealt with me on these other things. Some, some of them. <laughs> Not all of them. And, I, you know, I, I say this, this is a timely message for us. I, there's, a, there's a young guy that I know. And here uh, in this area that, that he professes to be a Christian. I talked to him a couple weeks ago. And he's just fallen off the face of the earth. He got rubbed the wrong way. And he's not meeting with anybody right now. He's, he's uh, just 
just doesn't seem to be interested in the things of God anymore. And, and I've been there. And I want to tell you, I want to just encourage you, if you ever think that you'd be better served backing out of the family of God for a season so that you can figure something out or get right or... I've got news for you. I believe that that's a lie from the enemy and I believe that all the more reason to get deeply embedded in the house of God and the body of Christ because uh, there's safety there. There's comfort there. So God comforted me through the scriptures that night long ago by convincing me in an instant to take my sin and go straight to the household of God. So yes, God comforts us through the scriptures. He also comforts us through the interaction of one another. Um, I want to go look at um, another verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18. Now, this is, this is a section of Scripture that is often uh, read and referred to at funerals. Um, but the word is true. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul is finishing up a, a, a treatise, an exposition on, on all of the, the comforts of Christ's eventual return. And he goes through this list of, of how this is going to work, how it's going to happen. And he says in verse 18 of chapter 4, Therefore comfort one another with these words. So there's a very real aspect of God, the God of all comfort, comforting His people, yes, through giving them the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, yes, through comforting us through the Scriptures, but also through the comfort we receive from one another, just by fellowshipping together, knowing, getting to know each other, deepening the relationships we have with one another. There was a time, and I told Catherine I was going to share this so she could be prepared, but there was a time... In our marriage, we've been married 17 years, but I don't know why or how. God must have given her an extra measure of grace and patience to remain with me for 17 years. But there was a time in our marriage um, about 10 years ago where I knew this is over. There is no way we can continue. I wanted to jump off a bridge. It was so bad. Literally. I wanted to run away. Found myself looking in the yellow pages for divorced lawyers. I was plugged into church. I was reading the Bible. Just, I was hurting. And she would say, I'm sure that she was hurting too. It was a difficult time. And I know... I'm sharing this because I know there are those in this room right now who are in that place. You are at the end of it. You don't know how to take the next step. Well, here's what happened to us. One night, and we were plugged into a house group at the time of the church we used to go to, and this house group had been together for years. And we had very good relationships with several of the families in this house group. And the middle and the men in this house group knew from me, we were spending time together, meaningful time together, legitimate, actual, transparent time together, telling one another, sharing with one another about what's really going on in our lives. What are these tribulations that we're experiencing? And one night, it was bad in my household. It was, uh, it was not going well. And I was about 11 o'clock at night, and they were yelling and screaming, and I was getting ready to leave, and it's a knock on the door. And it's these two families from our house group at 11 o'clock at night. In the midst of what arguably could be considered the worst night of my marriage, God sent two families, Christian families, into our living room to listen to the screaming and yelling and to help wipe the tears and to just speak the word over us. The enemy wants our marriages to end. He wants our families shattered on the rocks. He wants all of us to just go away. 
And here we were. And I, I see that, and I think Catherine would agree, as a pivotal moment in, our, in the establishment, the continuing establishment of our marriage. It's an ongoing establishment. Right? We don't take it for granted. We shouldn't ever take it for granted. The enemy wants it. If you've been married one year, the enemy wants your marriage over. If you've been married 50 years, the enemy wants your marriage over. So we have to continually be renewing our vows to one another. But the Lord sent these two couples into our living room that night. And that was the night that I'll never forget in my life. Because it was the comfort of the God of all comfort sent not through the Scriptures. I I didn't want to read the Scriptures at that moment. I wanted to throw my Bible in the trash can. I was hurting so bad. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to pray. What? I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm raw. But when these two brothers came into my living room, left their own families, drove 20 miles, and sat down with me and put their arms around me, and the ladies did the same thing with Catherine, I knew there's something more going on here. And so I want to encourage you. If you want to experience the comfort of God, if you need to experience the comfort of God, and all of us do, don't be afraid and don't be hesitant to go deep with one another, to go transparent with one another. There's a, you know, I don't know what your flipsis looks like, your tribulation. Maybe your marriage is great, as ours is now. Maybe your job is fantastic, but, you know, we, we, we lose things. We lose people in our lives. I remember... In 2009, July 4th, 2009, lost my dad. Worst thing that ever happened to me in my life. If, you've lost, if any men in here can relate to that, it was, and I know there's at least one that can. There, there is a loss there, a sense of loss there that was like a jackhammer on my forehead. Uh, it just took me straight to the ground. Now, that was July 4th, 2009. The same day that I baptized both my oldest sons, the day we found out my dad passed away. Now, later that summer, there was a men's retreat here at Calvary Chapel. And I went. And I didn't know a lot of the guys. But during a softball game, coming in from a softball game down in wherever we were, where was that place? Blackstone. Thank you. Down in Blackstone, there's a brother there at this men's retreat that had no idea that just a few weeks earlier I'd lost my dad, and I had no idea that he had recently lost his dad. And we wound up just walking in off the field from a, from a, a silly softball game. And we started talking. And we shared a mutual sense of loss and pain. And it was, he doesn't even know, he's sitting in this room right now, he, he doesn't even know how much that conversation, that five-minute conversation meant to me. How it encouraged me, how it lifted me up, and it reminded me, if nothing else, I'm not in this world of tribulation alone. You are not in this world of tribulation alone. Is your marriage rough right now? You are not in this world of tribulation alone. Have you suffered a loss, or are you about to suffer a loss of someone that you love dearly? You are not in this world of tribulation alone. You're not. Unbelievable. There's a <clears throat> there's a psalm that I've become very uh, a very big fan of. It's Psalm seventy three. <clears throat> Psalm 73 is, is uh, in some ways, it's a, it's a psalm of venting. It's written by one of the, a, a servant of God. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read certain portions of it, Psalm 73. Before I do, just let me just kind of summarize a little bit where we've been. God is a God of all comfort, 100%. He comforts us by giving us His Holy Spirit, who is the Comforter. He comforts us 
through the Scriptures in which we find comfort. The Scriptures that are living, the Scriptures that are act, active in our lives, the Scriptures in Hebrews 4, we're told these same Scriptures, they, they're discerner, they, through the Scriptures, through the Word of God, we can discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Right? He comforts us through the Scriptures, which are true. John, John 17, 17, Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we're comforted by the Holy Spirit. We're comforted uh, by the Scriptures. We're comforted by one another. And then we get to Psalm 73, where this guy, Asaph, is just pouring it out. He's living in the world. He's looking around. And he says, I'll start reading verse 2, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My step, steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful, verse 3. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. He's looking around at the folks around him that, are, that don't serve God. We ever do that? You ever look around at people that have no regard for God whatsoever? Maybe they're even scoffers. Maybe... They even believe something completely contrary to what you believe. And their life just seems to go well. Does it ever get under your skin? Do you ever find yourself wondering, what, what, what did I do wrong, God? Why, why them and not, not me? This is what Asaph is reporting here. He's in this spot. He's in a low spot. He goes on in verse 8. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue walks through the earth. So he's, he's recognizing these people that seem to be doing well. They say, verse 11, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. He's just at the end of himself. I've washed my hands in innocence for all day long, verse 14. All day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. There are those I know in this room right now that feel that way. I'm being plagued. Maybe you're fighting illness. Maybe you're in chronic pain. Maybe you've got a diagnosis that's over your head now. And Why me? Chastened every morning. Verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. And here's, here's what I wanted us to look at, really, in this. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Folks, we cannot look at the tribulation of our lives as a, as a soundbite. As a, as a thumbnail sketch of this is my day, it's a day of tribulation, and woe is me. We have to develop the capacity and the willingness to step back from our day-to-day tribulation, whatever it is, and look at things through the context of eternity. We are on, we are on this bus ride to you know, a, a great place. It's a rough trip sometimes. But we have the God of all comfort who stands ready to comfort us in all these tribulations. So God comforts us just by the simple fact of us going into the sanctuary of God. You know, the great word, until I went into, it was too difficult, too painful for me, until I went into the sanctuary of God. So if you're hurting, if you're in a season of tribulation, I encourage you, go into the sanctuary of God. I want to finish by looking at 
just a little bit more of that initial verse we looked at in 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> because there's, there's, a, there's a truth about God's economy that I think we need, to, we need to understand, we need to get it. We don't suffer these things. We don't suffer these tribulations for no good reason. And there's scriptures that talk about the things that tribulation brings about in our lives, and I'm not going to focus on those things. Things like patience, right? Steadfastness. But I want to focus on, on this other side of what tribulation in our life brings. And I think we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 at the end of verse 4. So I'm going to read 3 and 4 together all the way through. So it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. We've been there, right, already this morning. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. Okay, we've established that. But look at what it says here at the end of verse 4 that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So there is this, there is this element of the comfort we receive from God in our various trials and tribulations that we are very much to turn around and dispense to our brothers and sisters in, in, in the body of Christ. It's like, you know, it's, it's, I get this image of, of uh, you know, a little bit about immunology, right? Your body, you nurses, Ann Yance is looking at me. I'll, tell me if I get it wrong, Ann. We are, all through our lives, we, 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 we come in contact with antigens. Think dirty little things, germs or stuff that is not from us. It'll cause us to get sick. And our body recognizes that and develops antibodies to it. That's why when you get chicken pox... You, you only get it once, because from there on, your body recognizes it, and, and if you come across chickenpox again, your body can fight it. It's kind of like that in the body of Christ. Each of us are not living the same life, obviously. But each of us, you can rest assured, because we've already agreed, the Word of God is true. Jesus said, you will have tribulations. So each of us has tribulations. Your tribulations are not the same as my tribulations, but nonetheless... The tribulations and the God of all comfort can and will and does comfort you as He does me. And one of the benefits of being together as a family of God is that you can talk to a guy coming off a softball field, or you can have a family show up in your living room at a dark time in your life, or you can just encourage one another. Look what it says that we, end of verse 4, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we're to turn around and comfort one another, you guys. To do that requires much more, in my opinion, than 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. It requires investedness. It requires priority. It requires... Uh, an understanding of something greater than just our day-to-day tribulation. So I encourage you. You all have testimonies. There's somebody in here that has a testimony of, of a marriage that was in a bad place. I've been there. There's somebody in here that has a testimony about feeling like he needed to bow out of church for a while because he was a sinner. I've been there. You guys have been somebody in here who's lost a parent or a loved one. And, and through going through these things that are just the trademark of this world that we live in right now, which is a temporary, transient bus ride. We're, we're to be people that comfort one another. We're to live not like the rest of the world lives. We're the called out ones, right? The church. We are the people of comfort. We have all access to the comfort of the universe, all the comfort of the universe, right, right here. In the Holy Spirit in us, in the Scriptures, and in one another. So I'm just, as I finish up here, I'm just going to, I'm going to ask us to just close our eyes and bow our heads.
And I just want to remind us that God wants us to go to the Word of God for comfort. The Scriptures. God wants us to go to the people of God for comfort. He wants us to go to the sanctuary of God for comfort. He wants us to be prepared with our own testimonies of how God has comforted us so that we can turn around and give that comfort back to someone alongside of us in the body of Christ. So if you are a person sitting in this room right now and you know that you have been comforting yourself through life's tribulations in some ungodly way, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. If you are one who feels the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you've been comforting yourself through life's tribulation in some way other than tapping into the God of all comfort, the one true source of comfort, I ask you to pray with me. Father, we praise your name this morning because you are the God of all comfort. Your word is true. And in your mercy and in your grace and in your wisdom, you have given us this word. Father, teach us about the comfort that you and only you can supply. Lord, I pray for those that are here right now who are hurting. And all of us, God, are hurting in some way. But some, perhaps in a very acute way, a very poignant way. I pray, God, for those that are in a season of tribulation right now. Pray that you would lift their eyes, that you would lift their head, that you would strengthen their arms and their legs, that you would use your scriptures to do this, that you would speak to them through your Holy Spirit to do this, that you would bring other believers alongside them to do this, or that you would lift their eyes, that you would lift their heads to see and to behold the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you have told us that that yes, you've begun this great work in us and you will be faithful to complete it. Lord, as we learn Christ, I pray, Father, that um, you would help us to recognize, yes, there will be tribulation, but we serve the God of all comfort. May we be people that seek you and the comfort that only you can bring. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.